0: Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code radio20 at bloomberglive.com slash Festival.
1: Bloomberg Law is brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer RIA that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit commonwealth.com to learn more. June?
2: Thanks, Michael. Senate Republicans' refusal to even hold hearings for a justice to replace the late Antonin Scalia has been the subject of much debate, concern, and criticism, particularly in light of the favorable comments made about President Barack Obama's nominee, Judge Merrick Garland. That's overshadowed the fact that there are now 94 openings for federal judges. No judge has been confirmed since July 6th, although the Judiciary Committee has approved 20 moderate district court nominees on a voice vote without dissent. Professor Carl Tobias of the University of Richmond Law School wrote an op-ed in the Los Angeles Times arguing the necessity to give these nominees a final confirmation vote during the lame duck session. Professor Tobias joins us now along with Professor Charles Gardner Jay of Indiana University Morris School of Law. Carl, I can't remember the last time there was not a high number of federal judicial vacancies. Are these vacancies affecting the administration of justice at this point?
3: Yes, they are. Uh, it just means more pressure is placed on the other judges uh, to carry the uh, substantial caseloads. And it means justice delayed is just denied so that litigants uh, can't have their day in court, especially in civil cases.
1: Charles, is there any statement at all from the Senate or the Republicans as to why they're not moving forward with these vacancies?
4: Well, I mean, there's a tradition here uh for you know, for many years uh, uh, confirmations slow down in the latter portion of an administration and and toward the very end, I think the the idea is uh, we can we can stall these guys out and we can name uh, the the replacements with people whose ideological inclinations are closer to our own. in other words, we'll just wait for uh, a Republican president to jump in and 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 take their place it's it's, it's, it's pretty clear that that's what's going on and if you're asking for any sort of explanation, it's it you know, you can you it tends you it 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 heads you down the road of of, you know claims of judicial activism and so forth on the part of of Obama nominees. But but the the bottom line is that they're looking for to, to replace these judges with people who are Republican appointees.
2: Carl, hasn't Obama had a difficult time getting his federal judicial appointments through even since the very beginning?
3: Yes. And I think it's substantially due to uh, Republicans' failure to cooperate and work closely uh, with the administration. But it's been especially urgent and especially clear the last two years when the Republicans had the majority and they've managed to uh, confirm so few uh, judges. So that puts us where we are today.
1: Charles, are all the pending nominations the kind of judges that, I mean, you know, to the extent we can tell, the kind of judges that the Republicans would have a problem with, or is it a mixed bag of nominees?
4: You know, I have no reason to believe that they would have intrinsic problem with these folks. Uh, with historically, there, you know, there's been a lot of issues with Supreme Court appointments and Circuit Court appointments. Less, a little bit less. Uh, district judges have have really fallen below the radar until until recently. Everything's becoming political in this polarized environment, and so you know, I think they want to name uh, Republican appointees. But that is not to say that if they went ahead, rolled up their sleeves, and looked. At these folks, that they would be able to have identifiable problems with them. I don't think that's what's driving them forward at this point.
2: Carl, these are the, the these are the district court judges who are basically the trial judges in the federal system. So we're on the they're on the front lines. Does does their does their political bent mean as much as the political bent of let's say an appellate court judge?
3: No, and you're right. They're the workhorses of the federal judiciary. Uh, they conduct the trials, but principally they manage the caseload and try to uh, resolve cases at the initial stage. And they tend to be much less ideological. They're primarily appointed because of their competence uh, rather than, and ability to manage the cases rather than their ideological views. Well, uh,
1: just to take a counter. Point on that, Charles. The, uh, you know, there there was that district court judge in Texas who stopped the. Uh, some of the immigration work that the Obama administration was doing, and and there have been other examples of this around the country with district court judges, at least in the first instance, doing it. Although you know, doing things that were more inclined to what the Republicans wanted than what the Democrats wanted, and you know, of course, it does get reviewed by the appellate courts. But isn't there an argument that from you know from the Republican side that look, these folks have a lot of power at the district court level. They hear more cases. They actually have a lot of power over how things get decided in the first instance, and we need to make sure our people are in there.
4: Sure. I mean, in, in defense of Carl's point, the data show that in, in, that the ideological influences are greatest at the Supreme Court, lesser in the circuit courts, and lesser still at the trial courts. That said, you know, there's no question that, that conservative and liberal appointees think differently about how to sentence a criminal defendant, whether to certify a class action. And then, as you just suggested, there may be special cases coming along, you know, having to do with affordable care or having to do with, with you know, immigration or ideologically charged issues where, yeah, let's, let's concede that, that there will be some influence here. And so that, that helps to explain uh, uh, why the Republicans would have an interest. The point, though, is that you're balancing that. You're balancing the interest in the occasional ideological issue against the need to, you know, to have the system work. Uh, that, that if you've got a capable, qualified judge, uh, you know, there is some concern about saying, well, we're going to play politics to the extent of grinding the system to a halt in order to accommodate our, our ideological preferences. And that's, I think, where where we're at here, where where I'm concerned, even though I do understand that, yeah, I mean, there is a difference in the way they vote.
2: In about a minute here, Carl, you write that the election results likely will prompt more judges to retire or assume senior status. Why is that? Why should the election trigger that?
3: Well, there's a tradition, uh, especially at the Supreme Court, that... Um, Justices resign in the administration of a president of the same party as they were appointed. That's much less true at the appellate and district level, but there may be some Republican appointees who are we're waiting to see if a Republican might win, and now that that's happened, uh, they may uh, go ahead and assume senior status or retire. But I want to follow up on a point that Charlie made, and that is uh, the co equal branch of government is not being given the judicial resources that it needs by the Senate. And that's a real problem.
2: Carl, you urge in your op-ed that the Senate, during the lame duck session, at least appoint the 20 that were given an up or down a unanimous vote in the Judiciary Committee. How likely is that to happen with this Senate?
3: Well, it's may be unlikely. I'm cautiously optimistic that some of those 20 will be confirmed. And the reason for that is a majority of those 20 were recommended by Republican home state senators to the president who nominated them and they the Republican senators then strongly supported them in hearings and at the committee vote and so that's a reason why I think it'll go forward if they none of them is confirmed they have to start all over and it's a huge waste of resources
1: well let's talk about that charles let's say you know some small number of them go through but you still have upwards of 75 vacancies on the federal bench when the when president-elect Trump gets sworn in on January 20th how long is it going to take the Trump administration to ramp up and make nominations to decrease the vacancy rate on the on the district court bench uh,
4: it will take a while I mean you've got to get the staffing up and running it they're going to take a, a while to get the the relevant staff to review the the files and make recommendations and then uh, you've got once you've got them up and going uh, they're going to have to be Communicating with their home state senators, getting new names, and then they'll have to vet them at that level. At that point, the ABA will have to vet them, the Senate will have to vet them. So, you know, we are looking at a period of of months at a minimum. I think that it's it, with with a unified Senate and White House, uh, we're looking at uh, less delay, I would guess, than we would ordinarily uh, see. And without the filibuster uh, in 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 place as a as a threat for the Democrats uh, with lower court appointments, I'm guessing. It will be a fairly efficient process, but even a fairly efficient process will take some time. It'll take. It'll take. Uh, we'll, we'll be well into the new year before they'll start being able to nominate appoint people. I would expect.
2: Carl, with the appointment process being drawn out longer and longer, are a lot of talented mainstream nominees deciding not to go into a judgeship because, frankly, they can make more in private law firms and they don't have to put themselves through this
3: yes but let me say one thing to follow on what charlie just said and that is all of the processes are going to be delayed until a supreme court justice is nominated and confirmed so that will push back even further the lower court uh, nominations and confirmations uh, as late as late 2017 and into 2018 but yes june you're exactly right um, it is the fact that uh, many people, especially private practice, uh, may not even want to be considered for judgeship uh, because it takes so long and then they're in limbo. Uh, their clients wonder what's going on. The people whom they practice with uh, want to know what's happening. And, and so uh, you discourage uh, many people who would be fine judges from even considering that option.
2: I want to thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law today. That's Professor Carl Tobias of the University of Richmond Law School and Professor Charles Gardner Jay of Indiana University Morris School of Law.